0: Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. You're listening to an Encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden.
1: From the sweltering studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another You Think We're Gonna Air Condition the Whole Place Just For You? episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinx, You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Many people want to use their grass clippings in clever ways, like for mulch and compost making. On today's show, we'll tell you the sad story of a gardener who got clipped, by his clippings. Plus your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and judiciously jaundiced justifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you saving your salad greens by leaving your clippings where they lay. Or lie or oh the heck with it. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden on WLVR comes from Lehigh Valley Home and Garden Center. Everything for home outdoor living. Locally grown flowers and trees, plus a 7,500 square foot showroom of patio furniture. Lehigh Valley Home and Garden Center in Allentown. More at 610-391-1570. Welcome to a very special edition of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. Coming up later in the show, leave those clippings on your lawn. At least until you hear what we have to say about the dangers of using grass clippings. And a lot of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Cindy, Welcome. To You Bet Your Garden. Hi. Hello, Cindy. See, I'm taking the William Shatner School of Vocalization. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cindy's a good sport. How you doing, Cindy?
2: Oh, good, good. It's a beautiful day here today.
1: Good, good. And where is it beautiful today?
2: I live in State College, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Uh, home of Penn State. Yeah, yeah, of course.
1: Yes. We, uh, we love being on broadcast radio there.
2: Well, I'm I you know, I used to live in Bethlehem. I lived there for uh in the Bethlehem area. I lived in Nazareth for 15 years, Easton for 15 years. So, oh, okay. I think you relocated to a very nice place. Yeah, well,
1: there. uh we don't generally talk about Nazareth that much, but that's the home of Martin Guitar and um Yes, it is. It's a local treasure. As is of course Easton itself and its farmers market and Bethlehem, with our steel stacks, and who knows music fest and all that, what can we do you for?
2: um, I have these Lily of the Valley oh sorry, sin,
1: we're out of time. <laughs> Ducky and I have to go now, oh no, oh uh, yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: I, I, I bought this house five years ago, and it had just a small little patch. It was maybe a uh-huh. foot in diameter <laughs> mm-hmm. at the edge of a bed, and I got all excited because you know when I was a kid, you had that white coral bells upon a slender stalk. You know this really cute song about Lily of uh-huh. the Valley decorating right. your garden walk, and so I thought, oh, that's cute song about a serial killer. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so because uh, now it has spread. It's a it's it's huge. It's um, taking over. Uh, um, unfortunately, my patio was built with railroad ties, steps, and it's coming up between the steps.
1: It's Wear gloves but, anytime you touch those steps. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Railroad ties were treated with creosote, which is one of the few substances that uh, all oncologists agree is a cancer causer.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I usually have my garden gloves on, no matter what, and especially to pull out things like that. Okay, um, so you
1: basically got two options. Uh, State College, you have a little bit of a short season up there. What's the sun exposure on the area that these demons have invaded?
2: Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, they get it all morning. It's on them in full bloom right now. The patch is now about six by six feet and it's uh you know permeating my yard and I, I mow it but it doesn't get rid of them because they still have enough up to you know keep mi- building their energy or whatever so they still keep growing
1: now and I, um, uh, i've never had lily of the valley thank you thank knock on concrete or leucite or whatever this is plastic um but I know a similar problem is with a plant called Star of Bethlehem, and that has an underground bulb. Um, does lily of the valley have a bulb or a rhizome underground, or is it just a root system?
2: Oh, uh, it's rhizomes, yeah. Okay. And I've been, yeah, I pulled them out. Um, I pulled them out of the original bed uh, to, in order to grow a couple other things, and didn't realize that uh, that would pretty much tell them to go the other way, and mm-hmm. that's why they're going into the lawn. Um, so. My, you know, some people have told me to put plastic over them or newspapers, or
0: well, I mean, yep. getting
1: all this different
0: advice.
1: What I'm going to suggest is you solarize uh, the main bed, the part that is not encroaching on a lawn or anything else that you really want. Or if it's growing out of the lawn, you solarize it for the summer, and then you reseed the lawn in the fall. So, and what does
2: solarize mean?
1: Uh, well, that's. I want first of all. Well, not first of all. First of all, I'm going to tell you. But second, oh, okay. second of all, I want you to go to the website. I want you to go to youbetyourgarden.org, and on the right-hand okay. side, a little ways down, it says "Have a garden question? Check our archives to see if we've answered it, or words to that okay. effect, Your Honor." And you, <laughs> you want it in? When you click on that, you'll get a search engine. Type in solarization, soil solarization. Okay. And this is the only guaranteed way to really get rid of invasive weeds. So what you have to do is really mow that area to the ground. Do You want to see dirt blowing out the back of the mower. Oh then, my gosh, okay. Then you need to saturate the soil completely, and I mean to 100% saturation rate. Then you cover that area with clear plastic, preferably two mils thick. And uh, really make sure the edges are nice and tight, seal it with um, boards or rocks or bricks or something like that. And then Mm -hmm. over the course of the summer, the, the water and the clear plastic will literally boil the underground root system of these plants. And once you you take off the plastic, that area should be free of weed seeds and any kind of plant disease or anything else. But you have to leave the plastic on all summer long. So you're getting a little bit of a late start. Um, So it's up to you. And then if you want to keep a little patch of this stuff where it looks nice, go out and get some really deep edging and make a barrier okay. so that the rhizomes can't crawl over into your wanted plants.
2: Right, right. Well, I'm not sure. I'm a little tired of them now. <laughs> yeah,
3: even, I hear they that. They didn't
2: even they didn't even bloom very well this year. They had very tiny flowers that lasted like 4 days. Yeah. And they smell nice. I brought I brought some in and put them in a vase,
1: but well, yeah. Yeah, it, normally there are organic herbicides that have iron as their active ingredient that are very effective. Uh, but really nothing is effective uh, against weeds that have a rhizome or a bulb underneath, like wild onion, star of Bethlehem, your problem plant here. So solarization, it may sound extreme, but I think you'll be very pleased when uh, with the results.
2: Oh, okay. So when when in the fall should I, especially L- oh with the late no, you,
1: you want to get that plastic, you want to level that area, you want to saturate it, get that plastic down immediately. Yes,
2: yes. And then
1: if a lawn, if an area of lawn has been destroyed, probably like August 30th, I would tell you to take the plastic off and immediately sow fresh matching grass seed in there. Uh, Lawns in your area, cool season lawns, grow best when they're established in the fall.
2: Okay, all right.
1: All right, great. All right, good luck to you. Oh, thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Mike McGrath, and we are entering the go time, cats and kittens. All our stuff is growing rapidly, and our garden is being eyed by pests, disease, deer, evil squirrels. Who knows what we're going to have to deal with? Well, you can give us a call, and we'll help you deal with it. That number to call is 833-727-9588. Ian, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
0: Thank you, Mike. Great to be here.
1: It's great to have you here, Ian. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, sir? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. And where is Ian? Uh, Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. I know where that is. My nephew lives there. Or one of my nephews, I should say. All right, what can we do for Ian?
0: Um, so I was calling you because I am seeing a lot of lanternfly
4: nymphs. Oh.
0: um, I wanted to report on what I was doing and ask for any additional uh, suggestions. Sure. What does a lot mean? Uh, well, I guess that's uh, it's all relative as far as they go. Um, I have maybe five plants that I was seeing fifteen to twenty on okay. um, every morning.
1: Oh, okay. Now, what kind, um, what I, kind of plants? Just curiously.
0: Yeah. So, um, interestingly, only one of them a tree. Um, mm-hmm. So I was seeing them on my fig, which is only two years old. Right. um, On sunflowers, on a climbing rose, and on echinacea.
1: Okay. Um, We're still learning about this pest. We know a lot about the adult form, uh, but these larval form or instars, whatever the correct term is, um, we don't know a lot about, except that they look Like a trippy old Warner Brothers cartoon. Come on, back me up here. They are they 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 are they are cartoon dice with rubber hose legs, right?
0: (laughs) Yep. They jump like crazy.
1: I saw them in my garden last year. Interestingly enough, on a rose, and I went, um, "Am I having a flashback? Is this like when I was in college?" and well, all of a sudden, the walls would start moving around, and I'd go, oh, man, that wasn't a Tylenol I took this morning. You know, they are, They're one of the most amazing-looking insects I've seen, mm-hmm. um, and they didn't do any damage. I saw them on my roses for a couple of days. They didn't hurt anything, and uh, on my own property, I've only seen maybe five adult lantern flies later on.
0: Yeah, I had the the in stars last year, and I did not see any adults either. Okay, so
1: my advice uh, when you see the in stars is first take a bunch of pictures because they're so cool, and second, you can hose them off with sharp streams of water. Uh, people don't believe okay. this, but it's um, when you've got a real laser beam of water, it not only knocks the insects off the plant, it kills like three quarters to ninety percent of them, or. All right. You can soak them with insecticidal soap or horticultural oil, right with the caveat that you have to smother them. you have to actually hit them. There's no residual action. Okay so I like I like the hose thing because you don't have to buy anything. you don't have right. to aim really well and it's fun to see them go flying. It is the treatment of choice, even in conventional agriculture for aphids. okay. You know, which also like roses. Now, interestingly enough, I was wondering if you were going to mention roses, because that's the only plant I saw them on. And in the question of the week last week, um, the woman who wrote in, God, I think it was a woman, I hope I'm right, Um, they were on her roses. So I think we're actually seeing a pattern here that may be helpful in lantern fly control because even though you and I haven't had uh, you know problems with the with the adult form the family across the street uh, you know came out and they didn't have a tree anymore they had a nesting ground for adult lantern flies they said it covered every inch of the tree and a friend yeah, that's what I've heard yeah a friend of mine who lives like 4 miles away same thing you know they're on that tree. What tree? Uh, well, that's what's under all those lantern flies. <laughs> and my advice for that is is very much the same. Don't try to soak them with soap or oil. There's too many of them. But blast the rats off every morning. In um, in England, you can buy special pressure increasing nozzles for your hose to get the aphids off your roses. But. <laughs> You know, even the old style uh, nozzle that you could turn—you know—that'll give you a laser sharp thing. And the adjustable ones, where you ratchet it around—you know, when you get yep. when you get to that hit, you can you know, you can knock quite a few off. And you know, if they're up high, that's why God made pressure washers. Watch them fly now, because even though they're called lantern flies. You know that they really don't fly, even though they have wings. They are uh, under the designation of plant hoppers, which means that they hop from place to place. But all plant hoppers um, are sapsuckers, and they can do serious damage. Yeah. Now, it's interesting because so far, this is limited to Pennsylvania. But you might be the furthest out. You're not far
0: from Jersey. Uh, not that far from Jersey, not that far from, uh, Delaware.
1: Yeah, you're in an interesting corner of the state, but, you know, the outbreak began in Lehigh County and seemed to be going, you know, west to Redding and, um, and other areas out there. Um, so, you know, you're the first, you're the furthest out I've heard this.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, we had them last year too, so I have to imagine it's, they're going to go even further south this year.
1: Oh, yeah. They're probably going to go to Jersey for the summer, you know.
0: <laughs> all right. Is that it, Anna? Is that cool? Uh, well, I think you answered my question, but I did have a, a part of my question was I was using insecticidal soap, um, and you said that it, it didn't have any resid- residual action, but I just wanted to make sure I wasn't endangering any of my um, native bees on the roses or coneflower or anything like that.
1: No, not at all. And don't forget, native bees love those sunflowers. Yep bumblebees especially. Uh, No, the soap or oil only hurts insects that you hit directly. So in that way, it's very bee safe. Wonderful. And thank you for caring. I love native bees.
0: Yeah, I planted a huge pollinator garden. Excellent. Good man. All All right. Well, thank
1: you. Keep an eye out. Keep up the good work. Thanks. All right. Take care, man. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that the compost you began with lots of shredded leaves in the fall should pretty much be ready now, just in time for a mid-season feeding. Just remember, put it on the surface of the soil, don't mix it in. And don't go taking that pile apart just yet, because we'll be right back with important information about grass clippings and more of your important phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, P.A. You're listening to an encore
2: presentation of You Bet Your
1: Garden. Welcome to a very special edition of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, P.A., I am your host, Mike McGrath, and coming up later in the show, very important warnings about what you can do and should not do with clippings from your lawn. But first, we have to clip away at more of your fascinating phone calls at 833-727-9588. Philip, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
4: Thank you for having me, Mike.
1: Well, thank you for being had, Phil. How are you doing? Uh, I'm just ducky, if I can steal a line from you. Yes, you can. And and how are you doing? I'm just ducky, too. We're (laughs) two ducks in a pond. All right. Where are you, Phil? Um, I am in beautiful Maple Glen, Pennsylvania.
4: What can we do you for? Our situation started a couple of years ago. We, do you want the long story or the short story?
1: Let's, tra- let's start with the short story.
4: Okay. We have Asclepias, and we're growing them to try to save the monarch butterfly population of the world. And our problem is that we didn't realize that when we were growing the Asclepias to attract the monarch butterflies so that they would lay their eggs on them, that it would also attract every kind of predator on earth to come and eat the eggs and eat the caterpillars.
1: hmm now, now, for the benefit of 90% of our audience, we're talking about milkweed. Yes. Okay.
4: Yes. And we don't know what we can do, because anything we would potentially do to get rid of the predators would also destroy the caterpillar eggs and orchid. Okay, so what are your predators? Uh, mostly, well, we have a lot of praying mantis, but they're easy enough to move over. Right. We're, we're having a lot of ants and spiders and certain kind of wasps that sting the caterpillars.
1: Oh, yeah. That,
4: that, um, so they plant their eggs inside of the caterpillars, so when they, yeah. after they get into their chrysalis, they don't hatch. Just the wasps do. And there are a bunch of other things that we don't know what they are, but they just all come to the asclepius to eat the little protein pops, as we're told they're called. Yeah, the,
1: the yeah. Well, and you know those wasps are in many circumstances incredibly beneficial. Right. Especially when they parasitize things like the tomato hornworm and right. the little green caterpillars that eat your broccoli and cabbage. Right. But, uh, man, it sounds like you have a very lively garden.
4: We do, and it's very educational for my daughter. Right. And we love the praying mantises, but we just we want to save the monarch butterflies. So, we, which leads to a second problem. We started bringing the eggs and baby caterpillars into the house, into cages, right. Cages, and we're doing great. We're releasing monarch butterflies all over the place during the summer, but we need to feed them. And as you know, they're only going to eat the Asclepius leaves. Mm-hmm. So, then we get these yellow aphids that just... just Totally cover the plants. And we can't hit them with the water streams like you suggest because it also hits the eggs and caterpillars off of the plants. And we are organic, so we don't want to spray anything on them. We did try an alcohol spray because we've joined a lot of Facebook clubs on what to do if you're mm-hmm. trying to save the monarch butterfly. But everyone's basically like, once you get these yellow aphids, it's kind of over for your food supply.
1: That's not necessarily true. So, Every year, except for this year, of course, I've been speaking at the Chautauqua Institution in upstate New York. Quite an honor to be asked to speak there. And my hostess, who has arranged for everything, uh, she raises monarch butterflies, in, as you do, in cages. Uh, not so much indoors, but on a big porch. Right. We don't have a porch. And she, you know, rescues the eggs. And the um, and the and the caterpillars, if they get that far, right? And um, the aphids are connected to the ants more than likely. Okay. Ants herd aphids. Uh, they milk them. Uh, yes, for you know, sweet honeydew. Isn't that a nicer phrase than aphid poop? <laughs> uh, but th- there's a symbiotic relationship there. That if you can cut down on the ants, you can cut down on. Um, on the uh... placing or the protection of well, you know, the aphids,
4: I do see the ants on my roses doing that with the green aphids, but I've never seen them do it with the yellow aphids. And we tried growing the asclepias indoors, right. and we still got all the yellow aphids, but no right. other insects, just the yellow aphids. Where where did uh, so you were growing in indoors. What did you start with? I started with plants that I ordered online, and we made sure they were clean to our best of our ability before we put them in the house.
1: Aphids are tough. I get them on my pepper plants as well as my roses. And, right. you know, when, when I bring my peppers in for the winter, I spray those suckers down three times a day for three days in a row. Okay. And somehow they still sneak in. Right. So, um... If you're if you're checking your plants every day, right. Uh, you've become good at recognizing the egg masses and the um and the caterpillars. Caterpillars are incredibly distinctive. Right. So, what I'm going to suggest is well, first of all, I don't know how big a yard or a garden or whatever, but try planting some of the milkweed in a different in a different place.
4: Oh, I've done that. We have it in five places right now. We live on an acre. Okay. So- good that way.
1: Okay. Um, So two suggestions here. One, as soon as you see the eggs, um, you know, bring bring that section of the plant inside. Clean it as carefully as you can. No alcohol. That's that's crazy talk. Right. Um, Just clean it with water. And then obviously what you would do then is spray down the plants outside after checking them for egg masses and caterpillars Spray them down like nobody's business, and just right, with water just with sharp streams of water, I mean right. I have found a handheld sprayer to be better at this than my um than my garden hose with a with a nozzle that turns to laser setting, okay you're able to control it even better. okay, but there are two natural enemies of aphids that you can bring into the picture, okay now everybody knows about ladybugs, right. And it's very easy to buy ladybugs online.
4: Yeah, they sell them at our local nursery, but I'm just, we've tried it before, and they fly away after about a day or two.
1: Right. Here's and they're expensive. the secret. Here's the secret. Okay. They have to be released in a very specific situation. When they arrive, open up the package, they'll be in like a, a big sock-like thing, and mm. mist it with water. Okay. So, because they're very dehydrated at this point. Okay. And then this is the only time I want you to wet your garden down at night. Oh, okay. So you spray, you coat the plants with water, really saturate them. And then you go around and you drop some of the ladybugs on each plant until you've emptied your supply. Ladybugs will not fly at night. Right. But they are desperate for water. So when they fly away during the day, they're looking for a water source that they can utilize. So if your plants have water on them and there's food there, there's every reason to believe the ladybugs will stay there because they have what they need. If you want to up the ante, get little dishes or trays, fill them with pebbles, and then fill the dish with water so that the ladybugs can perch on the pebbles and get a drink of water. Again, they're ravenously thirsty after their journey. But they are the second best predator okay. of aphids. The best is the lacewing. Okay. Uh, most common is the green lacewing. These are diaphanous creatures. They look like they're from a midsummer night's dream. Okay. Um, but their larval form, which looks remarkably like the larval form of the ladybug, which you probably know is a little tiny alligator lobster-like creature. Right. Um, their larval form eats twice as many aphids. Okay. A day as the um, as the ladybug larva, and its common name in the world of entomology is the aphid lion.
4: <laughs> that sounds
1: good. Right, and you can buy lace wings. Uh, they ship them. It, last time I got a um, well, last time I got a supply, there were eggs in like Excelsior, uh, but okay. some companies will send them to you. The eggs are kind of pasted on a card. And okay. you just lay the card like in the plant somewhere where it's going to, you know, where it's going to hang. And as they uh, as the larval emerge, then they'll see the um, they'll see the aphids and go right to work. Oh, okay. So especially with lace wings, you're getting an egg form. Right. So there's no flying away. The babies have to eat. They can eat 50 aphids a day apiece. Wow, And that may start to balance things out for you.
4: Well, I like that. Um, now, I have a, a, a built-in sprinkler system. Is this Should I shut that off so it doesn't spray the plants during the day? Is that going to make the lace wings go away?
1: You should not ever spray plants during the day. Uh, the, the morning. The best time is in the morning, ending right. as the sun comes up. Um, if you've got a lot of these dishes filled with pebbles and water... Right. Um, that's enough to keep the uh, beneficial insects happy.
4: Okay, great. I've never heard of a lacewing thing before. That's wonderful.
1: Oh, excellent. No, you're, they are voracious predators. They're your best bet here.
4: And they won't hurt my flowers in another garden or anything?
1: No, no. Okay. All they do is eat aphids. Okay. And no, then the said. adult form, if you see them, it, it's, it's like a little green fairy-like creature. They're amazing.
4: Right. Now, what can I do about the predators?
1: Well, you have a lively garden. There's really nothing you can do about predators except, uh, you know, relocate them. Um, right. You know, as you, as you know, the, the praying mantis is n- neither beneficial nor bad. It's just a predator. It'll eat anything. Right. And, you know, spiders are generally very helpful um, right. in the garden. As to the, uh, the little wasps, there's really nothing you can do. But uh, we can get rid of your aphids.
4: Okay, no, that'd be great, because once we get them in the house, if we can keep feeding them, we're good.
1: Yes, and this should help you bring in clean plants. Yes, this is wonderful. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for helping out with the monarchs. Take care. Thank you. You too. Joe, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. How you doing, Joe?
3: Doing fine, Mike. Uh, Appreciate you taking my call.
1: I appreciate you making it, sir. Where are you? I'm in McCongee, Pennsylvania. Oh, McCungee now. Oh, say now. Yeah. I... Say now,
3: yes. Sir. Yeah,
1: say now. That's a special place. yeah. What can we do for Joe over the hill in McCungee?
3: My wife and I started to let our lawn grass in the back section of our yard grow wild as mm-hmm. it is on a slight slope. I would say the section of the lawn is about four feet wide, maybe 50 feet long.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: we've been letting it grow for about two, two and a half weeks. Right. Uh, my question for you Does this present any issues to this section of our yard or to our lawn in general?
1: Uh, Okay, so you got more lawn than this. This is your little... Oh, much
3: more. Yeah, okay,
1: so this is your little experimental um, piece of Hades. Uh, Correct. (laughs) Now, is this a difficult area to mow?
3: It's really not that difficult. It's a slight slope, not a very steep slope, but my wife and I were thinking, well, maybe we could just do something with this. And we were even thinking of other things like maybe uh, making a terrace garden Uh, what possibly some other ideas like that. But we said, well, let's start with just letting the grass grow and see what that looks like. But I was concerned, would that create any issues in the yard or for that section that we are letting grow wild?
1: Do you perhaps know what kind of grass it is? I mean, in Maconji, (sighs) you got a cool season grass for sure, but do you know know if it's fescue or bluegrass?
3: Mike, I I really don't. I can't answer that one. Well,
1: I might be able to give you a clue. Does it fill in its own bare spots?
3: Uh, Yeah, I would say yes. Okay,
1: Uh, more than likely bluegrass. You might have some ornamental value here. Um, One thing that's going to happen, even if it's a hybrid, it's going to set seed, and those seeds are, you know, going to uh, (laughs) kill anybody who's allergic to grass pollen. Uh, Huge amounts of pollen will get in the air. As you realize, most Um, If not all homes, the lawn is cut before it can germinate, Uh, not germinate, but uh, go to seed, you know, put out pollen. So, you know, you've kind of created the, you know, the Godzilla of pollinate uh, and not pollinators, because I'm not sure if you're going to attract any native bees or anything or butterflies. Mm -hmm. uh, But it's an interesting experiment. Now, when you finally want to get rid of this thing, do you have a scythe? (laughs) Pardon me? Do you have a scythe, the way they used to cut lawns before we had lawnmowers? Oh, oh,
3: no, but I have a weed whacker. That's the best I have.
1: Oh, man, that's going to be ugly. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, it, it, it could be interesting. Um, you'll certainly see stuff that most lawn owners don't generally see. Um, be interesting to see if the seed heads do attract pollinators, although, no, they won't because grass seed is wind dispersed, and pollinators only go to plants that have pollen and nectar that is not taken by the wind, that rely on bees and beetles and hummingbirds to move the pollen around. So if your allergies start acting up, you know, take it down. Also be aware that if we have another wet summer, that's gonna be a serious breeding ground for ticks. This is, oh, boy. Yeah, this is the kind of habitat, not only that they prefer, but that they thrive in, you know, because ticks right. crawl along the ground till they can get to something tall, brush or a tall piece of grass, and then they wait for somebody to come by, and then they try to lower their blood pressure for the poor person.
3: Yeah, so that would be concerning to me because we have grandchildren that visit and having ticks... Uh, you know, around would not be a good thing
1: for us. Right. And if it is a wet summer again, it's not so much a breeding ground for mosquitoes, but it's the perfect place for them to hide during the day. You know, they can go down there into that damp grass. It'll probably, you know, if we have a summer like last year, it'll never dry out. So those are the two concerns. Um, It it could be interesting. You know, if you want to split the difference, Why don't you cut most of it down and just leave a little piece and let's see what happens uh, for curiosity's sake. But I like what you said earlier in the call about making a terraced raised bed garden. That is the ideal solution for things
3: on a slope. Okay, that's great. I think maybe we'll look into that too.
1: Oh, they look beautiful and they're very productive and it's a great uh, solution for what could be a difficult piece of land.
3: All right, Mike, thank you so much. That's been most
1: helpful. Uh, My pleasure, Joe. Good luck to you. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that the compost you began with lots of shredded leaves in the fall should be ready now, just in time for you to fork it onto your garden beds. Don't mix it in. That is, unless you filled the bin with kitchen waste alone. And then I urge you to just keep the lid on really tight. But don't go researching what you did wrong just yet, because we'll be right back with important information about grass clippings and more of your important phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
2: You're listening to an Encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden.
1: I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week, explaining why you might kill your garden plants if you do the wrong thing with your grass clippings. It's important information, so stay tuned. It's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Gary, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here, Gary. Where is here for you? We're in Buckingham, Pennsylvania. Okay, is that near New Hope? Uh, South of New Hope, right below Peddler's Village. Okay, close enough for me. All right, what can we do for you?
5: Well, Mike, I have a small orchard here, and uh, we've been growing trees now for about 10 years, quite a few actually. Mm -hmm. And I had a test tree that was a pluot tree. And this pluot tree, it's been 10 years now, and last year and again this year, it's produced a a large abundance of pluots, but they get to the size of about a quarter, and start to drop.
1: I'm going to express my profound ignorance here. I probably knew what a pluot was years ago, but I have no idea now. It's a plum and an apricot? Correct. Oh, okay.
5: That's what I'm told. <laughs> so
1: I did know. Okay. Um, yeah. okay, and so the fruit is falling off early in the season.
5: Correct. And eventually it all falls off before we, you know, enjoy any of it because of I guess Something is obviously happening. Right.
1: But you say it produced nicely in previous years.
5: Again, they would begin to drop at the size of a quarter. They would be a nice color, a nice red uh, Uh and orange or yellowish color. And Uh then all of a sudden, things would head south. Now they are in with peach trees, and those peach trees have the, uh, the disease in the bark and in the wood that does not affect the fruit. So we are getting a lot of fruit off the local peach trees that are around it, but this tree just cannot hold the fruit long enough to get of any substantial size.
1: Okay. Um, Do you thin your peaches?
5: We do thin the peaches, and we do collect them because of the disease. We had some advice from a Penn State master gardener that told us that, you know, we need to collect any fruit that drops and dispose of it
1: well do you have brown rot problems because you said your fruits were fine
5: I guess we do but um, the fruits on the peaches are typically fine but the pluots again just do not develop or grow and uh, you know we do get some it looks like a moldy growth on it
1: it sounds like brown rot um okay so have you tried thinning the this hybrid fruit
5: yeah we do typically thin everything that we have Okay. In terms of the trees, and it just doesn't seem to make a difference.
1: Okay. But um, how many peach trees do you have? I have
5: probably six or seven on, on the property.
1: And they're all producing? For
5: the most part, yes. There are off years.
1: But... Yeah, well, peaches are one of the hardest things to grow, either uh, conventionally or organically. Um, the Poulot, I don't know nothing about. But I will tell you. That, for instance, with peaches, um, you need need to thin them aggressively. You know that. And they shouldn't drop. You should thin them before they drop. And if you see a peach with even the slightest sign of brown rot, you want to get it off the tree immediately, go around collecting with a plastic bag, seal the bag, and put it in the trash. Because once brown brown rock gets established, it goes throughout the entire orchard. Oh, okay. Now, you have a couple of options. The one I'm going to suggest that really works for all fruit trees, and it's very easy to do, have you ever heard of Surround, the clay spray? I have heard you
5: mention it in prior shows.
1: Okay, so this is just a micronized clay that's specially formulated to dissolve in water, So I presume you have a backpack sprayer if you've got that many peach trees. Yes, I do. Okay. So clean out the sprayer. Don't tell me what you had in it before. And um, clean it out and pump it out a couple of times. Uh, Then get yourself some surround. You can get it from Gardens Alive, but I'm pretty sure it's available at retail as well. And mix it up as directed and right after the flowers have faded, and you see the tiniest little fruits appearing. You want to spray the trees completely, covering them top to bottom. Now, it will look like a Christmas tree display in Wanamaker's window. Uh, The trees are going to look like they have been, say this carefully, kids, flocked. Um, But uh, this covering of clay protects the bark of the tree, protects the fruit, protects the leaves, and not only doesn't interfere with photosynthesis, you tend to get bigger, healthier fruits. Now you, oh, okay. s- now you still have to thin them, and do the other things. I, you know, right. I presume you've been growing peaches long enough to know to do an aggressive pruning in the spring. All the time. Yeah, yep. um, and that's true. I used to grow peaches. I was pruning them all the time. Um, so yeah, uh, continue your pruning, be even more aggressive with the pruning. One thing I learned about peaches is they do better if you prune them twice, cause you know, you give them that first pruning to make sure nothing's going upright and no crossed branches and everything. And then three right. weeks later, your spouse comes out and goes, I thought you were gonna prune these trees. <laughs> so they are, they are so lush that I did a second pruning and that greatly improved the airflow. Um, and then I would urge you to uh, try a season with Surround. I don't think you'll ever go back. It's, it's a physical barrier against pests and, and disease.
5: Oh, excellent. I'll have to try it.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's totally non-toxic. And if you don't like it, don't use it the second year. Uh, but I suggest you, m- you might get really good results. And yes, as the Penn State Extension agent said, make sure you clean the forest floor. Don't let anything lay under there. Right. Okay?
5: That sounds good. All right. Great
1: advice. And good luck to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling Death from the Lawn, the sad story of contaminated clippings. Jim in Gilbertsville, PA writes, I use soil mulch from grass clippings from my lawn which is treated with weed and feed. Now I have learned the difficulties of growing vegetables in this soil, the hard way. Is there any way I can dilute the wilting effects this contaminated soil has caused on my tomato plants? And if I can harvest any tomatoes from these plants, is the fruit safe to eat? And am I the only person this has happened to? Well, thank you, Jim. Now that we're in the middle of lawn mowing season, your loss may save many other gardens from a similar fate. The weed part of the notorious weed and feed is, of course, a chemical herbicide, specifically one designed to kill any plant other than turf grass. If you still have the bag, it should contain a specific warning not to compost the clippings. The reason for this is that some chemical herbicides are so persistent, they survive the composting process and remain active enough to kill non-grass plants. This was first reported decades ago by a university that made their own compost and used it to feed the bedding plants they were raising for their annual spring plant sale. All the plants died, which confused the composters as they had had the finished compost tested, And there was no evidence of herbicide residues. Then one of them said, we tested for residues at the parts per million level. Let's test it again at parts per billion. And there they did indeed find the guilty party. The herbicides had killed the plants at a level so low it is almost unimaginable. But dead plants do tell the tale. Now, it's a little hard from the wording in Jim's email to figure out if he used his clippings to make compost or if he used them to mulch his dead tomatoes. Either way is wrong, even if the lawn is not treated with chemical herbicides because clippings belong on the lawn. Those clippings are 10% nitrogen, and 10% nitrogen is the perfect lawn food. Lawns don't need potassium or phosphorus, and fertilizers that contain phosphorus are actually banned in many areas, including the states of Maryland and Virginia, where the phosphorus ban is designed to help clean up the priceless Chesapeake Bay. It is also against the law in these states to use a fertilizer that is higher than 10% nitrogen, again, to try and protect the bay. And then there's the herbicide issue. As I have traveled around the country, I see more and more municipal composting sites that have big warning signs, no grass clippings. But I know they and I are fighting an uphill battle. Many, perhaps most, books on composting include grass clippings as an acceptable raw ingredient, along with shredded junk mail, which is just stupid. Same with composting classes held by well-meaning extension agents and or their master gardener volunteers, who are often just passing along old information without thinking too much about it. A few years back, I accompanied a friend to a composting class at a large and prestigious university in Philadelphia. That was not Temple or Drexel, nor St. Joe's or Villanova, which are outside the city proper. My friend made me promise to behave and I lied that I would. When the woman teaching the class said to include grass clippings, I raised my hand and said, don't you mean grass clippings from a lawn that hasn't been treated with herbicides? She seemed puzzled. And then I explained the dangers of clippings from a treated lawn while my friend repeatedly elbowed me in the ribs. Then we got to leaves and I said, of course you mean shredded leaves, right? as whole leaves mat down and stop the composting process. Then she moved on to shredded junk mail and cardboard and I was given a really nifty composting bin and asked to leave the workshop before she got to kitchen scraps. Back to Jim. No, Jim, you are not alone. This probably happens to thousands of gardeners every season, but they email me complaining of a blight or a fungus. And don't connect their tomato death to grass clippings, which you did, Jim. So to quote storyteller Garrison Keeler, you knew it was wrong. And now you know it. Direct answers to Jim's questions. Years ago, we told people whose lawn had been sprayed with herbicides to flush the area repeatedly with long drenches of water. But I fear that won't affect this new generation of persistent and systemic products. I would not try to save these plants, and I would not eat their fruits. These pesticides are systemic, which means they get into every part of a plant. If you mulched with grass clippings, get rid of them wearing gloves. If you made contaminated compost, just spread it on the lawn, where it won't harm anything. In the future, if you feel you must use a weed and feed, try corn gluten meal. This natural product prevents germination of weed seeds and feeds the turf. In addition, limit the amount of weeds in your lawn by using good cultural practices. Never cut grass shorter than three inches. Always cut with a sharp blade. Always leave the clippings behind. And when you water, water deeply and infrequently. Okay, as they used to say in the old Mission Impossible TV show, Good luck, Jim. This television show will self-destruct sooner than later. Well, that sure was some interesting and important information about grass-clipping do's and don'ts, now, wasn't it? Luckily, for those of yous who wish to read the information over at your leisure or your leisure, the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be, youBetchergarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to cut my grass if I don't get out of this studio we must be out of time but you can call us anytime at 833 727 9588 why would i care if somebody cut my lawn for me or send us your email you're tired you're poor you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at yb yg at wlvt.org please include your location wait a minute he said now he says it was a euphemism what's that mean You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created in the heart of an exploding white dwarf star in another galaxy far, far away. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. I think Zach the Tap and John Flynn are in the house. Maybe Bill Simler too, but I can't be sure as the lack of A.C. has turned our corridors into one of the long shots from Lawrence of Arabia. Continued thanks to our fearless leader, Lawrence of McCongee, Tim Fallon, who either keeps allowing us to come in to take new material or is too busy playing Scrabble at home to know we're here. Don't turn the water off, Tim. I'm your host soaking wet, Mike McGrath, saying now I really do feel ducky. And I hope you do too, until ducky and I see you again next week. Hey, if we can't get the A.C. on, how about a fan and a bucket of ice cubes? Or, oh no, let's all go to the supermarket and open all the freezer doors and just stand there. My kingdom, my kingdom for a popsicle. Where's Mr. Softy when you really need him? Wait, what's that familiar jingle I hear? Here comes Mr. Softy, the soft ice cream man. The creamiest, creamy cream soft ice cream
2: you get from Mr. saucy For refreshing refreshing delight supreme, look for Mr. saucy
0: My milkshakes and my sundaes and my cones are such a treat
4: Listen for my store on wheels, ding down the street
0: The creamy is, creamiest, is, cream is, soft ice cream you get from Mr. saucy For refreshing delight supreme,
2: look for Mr. double S-O-F-T-E-E, Mr. Softee